pray once more. Our God and our Father, I'm, I'm very grateful for the, the arrow and how the arrow is pointed in this service thus far. We began by speaking of our great, the great command that you give us to love one another, and then we, then we sang of our great desire to glorify you, that you deserve the greater glory, and then the next line speaks of us being overflowing, overflowing with joy over you. Our joy is what glorifies you. So I pray today that you would, you would cinch these truths together, that we are, we are a body, we are to serve one another, we're to serve the world, but we're to do so in a certain way. We're to do so with joy to your glory issuing forth in love. So that's simple to say from a lectern, harder to do in the moment, harder to figure out in the details. So I pray now, will you please, I, I have words to say, I'm going to open your word, but will you please commission your spirit now and work amongst us and do that which only you can do. You promise to give us wisdom if we ask you for it. You promise to give it liberally. So I pray, will you please fulfill that promise now? Will you please liberally dispense wisdom upon us now by your spirit, I ask, through your word. In Jesus' name, by his power we pray, amen. Well, today we take a break from Psalm 23 to consider our ethos, our ethos as servants of Christ. An ethos is a value that a community holds that guides its members in their aspirations and what they do. An ethos is what keeps you moving down the right path without driving either into the ditch of being overly cautious or being overly passionate in what you do. I can think of no clearer ethos statement in history than that of a mother of a young Spartan soldier who, when she was sending him off to war, she handed him his shield and she said to him, either come back with this or on it. <laughs> that was it. That was a statement that captured the ethos in just a few words of a Spartan soldier. Fight with honor. Fight with the honor of a Spartan and come back with this. Don't drop it in battle or come back on it, dying valiantly. In the same way, we, the people of God, we've been given very clear and poignant ethos statements by our commander for how we're to conduct ourselves as his soldiers. And I use the word soldiers intentionally. We are at war, as we will see. Thus, the local church is both a platoon barracks for the soldiers of the Lord and a field hospital. It's where we recharge to go back out again into the fight, and it's where we come back to to heal from our wounds from the fight. So today I want us to think about our own ethos as those who serve Christ in his platoon barracks and his field hospital, and I want to describe our service to him with five ethos statements, five ethos statements. But before we get to that, I need to first make clear some assumptions that I'm making that undergird those statements, assumptions about who we are and what we're about as a church. Three of them. The first one is this, that we are about 
glory. We are about glory. What is our primary goal here but to bring God glory? Yes. God deserves the greater glory, as we just sang, and this should not be controversial to you. But what is less clear is how we bring him glory. Well, the first thing we need to realize is that God gets his glory, um, and, he, and he does it regardless. God is already getting glory from you if you are in Christ. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 6, that God chose us before the foundation of the world, before you were ever in existence he, he chose us to lavish us with his grace, and he did all of this to the praise of his glorious grace. And then later on, Paul says in Ephesians 1 that God sealed us with, him, with his spirit. He sealed us to himself. God does everything for us in Christ for our salvation. That's why it's called grace, because it's a gift. That's what the word grace means, is gift, and that's why Ephesians 1, verse 14, Paul says, all of it goes to his glory because he has done it all. It all redounds for his glory. Okay, but for each of us who are in Christ, when God chooses us for salvation, he does more than that. He does more than choose us for salvation. At the same time, before time and eternity passed, he chooses for us before the foundation of the world good works for us to walk in. Good works that bring him glory. Chapter 2, verse 10. Good works. He prescribes for us. He chooses for us in advance. So, so what are those good works? Well, here's where things get interesting. Here's where things get interesting. But Paul is not changing the subject when, in 2 Corinthians 1.24, he says this. Paul can summarize his entire ministry this way. That we, we don't, I, I'm an apostle, Paul's saying, I'm an apostle, I'm an elder, I'm, I'm the head honcho, I, I, I founded this church, I, you, you owe your lives to me, you know, because I shared the gospel with you, all these things. And he says, but I don't lord that over your faith, but we, there's a team there, which we'll come back to, we work with you for your joy. We work with, Paul can, Paul can summarize his whole ministry as working together with others for their joy. And in this, he's not changing the subject from the glory of God. What is the fundamental way that we glorify God? We do so by enjoying him. Did you know that? That the fundamental, central way that you bring God glory in your life is by enjoying him. I've, I've sometimes wondered... When is the moment in my life when I, when I glorify him most? And I think that, that sometimes it's that point in the worship service when I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this. It's just that there's a smile that creeps on my face from something that I just sang that is sweet to my soul. And I simply smile. I, right then and there, I'm enjoying him in some profound way that that perhaps brings him the greatest, the greater glory, as we just sang. So... Jonathan Edwards was really the first English-speaking theologian to draw this out, so is John Piper in, in, our, in our modern day. The chief way we glorify God is by enjoying him. Our joy in him shines a bright light on him and on all the things about him that bring us that joy. So, um, therefore, what, whatever way that you and I serve him in whatever capacity, 
the fundamental goal of all of our serving him, the fundamental goal of all of these good works that God has already prescribed for us is to bring myself and others to enjoy God, to enjoy God more. That was the purpose yesterday morning when a couple fellows showed up here and pushed a broom. They were pushing a broom for your joy and for mine. That is, the, that is the fundamental goal. We work together with each other for each other's joy in God. So um, that's the first thing that we must assume as we think about serving. Secondly, I'm assuming how the Bible describes the church that we are a body. We are a body. We're the body of Christ, the physical manifestation of Jesus Christ himself on earth. Thus, an org chart doesn't describe us. I mean, of course, you know, like in a body, there's, there is a hierarchy of things, right? I mean, I could live without this, this fingernail, but I can't live without, you know, my brain, you know, or my heart or my stomach. You know, there, on the one hand, there is a hierarchy, and yet on the other hand, if you were to pull this nail out, <laughs> my heart would race, my stomach would convulse, my brain would go, ow, right? The whole thing, the whole thing matters. We, we are a body. We are a body. So Paul uses this metaphor extensively, especially in 1 Corinthians 12. He says there, on the one hand, we are one body. Whatever we accomplish for God's glory, we do it as an us. There's no such thing as a silo in God's body. All the pieces relate to each other. Um, whatever we accomplish, we do it with many parts, but one body, 1 Corinthians 12 Verse 20. So this means two things. First, that these parts of the body are very diverse, which means that um, each part is its own thing. Like, I don't know how else to say this, but like, uh, you're going to go, yeah, duh, Jed, but like, the, the stomach is a stomach, and the heart is a heart, and the eye is an eye, and the eye is not a stomach. <laughs> each thing is its own thing. Each thing is its own thing. And yet, each own thing, each, each part needs all the other parts. So, in fact, God has so constructed the church such that it's so appropriate today that we prayed and, and really honored um, the janitorial crew because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 22, that the parts of the body that seem to be weaker or, quote, less honorable, you know, we think of that it's more honorable to be doing what I'm doing right now rather than cleaning a toilet, and yet, what Paul says is that the, the weaker parts are, in fact, the ones that are most indispensable. Isn't that interesting? The weaker and, quote, lesser the part, verse 23, the greater the honor. That's how this body operates. So in this way, it, even though each part is its own thing, there is yet, at the same time, no division between the parts. You know, you, you don't say, you, you don't see somebody and say, well, there's a stomach and there's an eye and there's a brain and there's a, no, you say there's a person. There's Joe, you know. Um, so, um, thus, each part is its own thing. There's no division and thus the church is meant to work together with a smoothness, a smoothness that should remind an onlooker of the human body. And in fact, in fact, it's my opinion, though I can't, I can't like, like say verse and, and, and uh, 
chapter on this from Scripture, but it is my opinion that when God, like in, in eternity past, when he invented the human body in his mind, it's my opinion that he had as its template, he had already, quote, invented the body of Christ in his mind. And he invented then the logical flow, the human body to serve as a literal, physical, actual living parable on earth of the body of Christ. So you ask yourself, well, how should we, how should we operate around here? What, what should we do? Well, you, you've got living parables all around this room of how we should operate. Um, the human body. So we are a body. And thirdly, thirdly, we serve the mission we serve the mission. What is the mission? It is the great commission, the great commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Um, Jesus told us, Jesus commanded us to go and take the good news of him to all the nations, all the nations, commanding them to obey all that Jesus has taught and to be baptized, to bend the knee to him, to bend the knee to him. This is we need to realize that the Great Commission is, is a call to world conquest. This is war. It's war. We are in a war. This war did not start with America, the American culture wars. It goes much, back, much further than that to the garden because it was there that sides were divided, and then they, the two sides started to, to show themselves more clearly when Cain killed his brother, and then his descendants tried to build their own way to heaven by building a tower called Babel, and, and Babel went on to become go by the name of Babylon. Till the, by the time you get to the book of Revelation, at the end of the Bible, Babylon has come to represent the whole unbelieving world. But we are those who are of faith. So while the world fights not with, with any rules at all, by killing and debauchery, whatever goes. We fight with the tools that we've been given. We are in a war, and we fight with the tools that we are prescribed by our commander, bread and wine and water, a body broken, blood spilled, and a baptism commanded. We proclaim to the nations a body broken and blood spilled for the forgiveness of sins, and we command them all, kneel in subjection to your king. He comes soon. So, therefore, everything we do must contribute to this mission. I'm reminded even to this day, the, the nation of Israel, if, if you are uh, an Israelite citizen, you must serve in the military. I once met the, the, sweetest, the sweetest lady you've ever met, sweetest retired lady, and her husband came to me one time, she, she grew up in Israel, and her husband said, hey, ask her to tell you how to throw a grenade. <laughs> and because she served in the Israeli military and she discovered that she was really good at throwing grenades. <laughs> everyone, therefore, everyone in this little platoon must be able to fire the weapons we've been given, must know what the mission is and seek for your part to contribute to that mission because we are at war. Again, do we fight with the weapons of this world? Oh, no, of course not. Of course not. We fight with the humblest of weapons. And, but God delights to do that because he, he, he loves, he delights to hide the most awesome power in the most humble of vessels. <laughs> Elements like this in you and I. <laughs> okay, so, so those are our first three assumptions. 
let's get to the ethos of serving, five ethos statements of our service here to the Lord. Again, what, what should be our guiding values as we labor in the Lord's armies? Five statements. You'll be happy to know I had ten. I boiled it down to five. <laughs> um, and I, I'm not the first one to think about this in terms of military analogies, military metaphors, but I am customizing each one of these to our situation here at Grace Church. And the first one is this, the first ethos of serving is this, keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. What is the main thing? I, again, I, I've already said it, but I put it this way, the glory of God through the enjoyment of him by his people, through the proclamation of his gospel and our obedience to it by faith. The glory of God through the enjoyment of him by his people, through the proclamation of his gospel and our obedience to it by faith. Now, before we go any further, we must say one more thing about this, that the objective of our service is also the source of our energy. The objective is also our source of energy. All true ministry is energized by spiritual vitality, by spiritual new life, and therefore by enjoyment of God. The most important thing about your ministry, about your service to the Lord, is whether you are enjoying him or not. Because it is from that fountain spring that everything else will flow. Everything else. It's not manipulation, it's not, it's not tactics, it's not good marketing. Fundamentally, the power for our ministry comes from our own enjoyment of him to his glory. So we keep the main thing the main thing, not, not only to do the right things, that's very important, but also that we would have the power to do them in the first place. So then, it is always good, having said this, to remind ourselves that whatever we are doing contributes to this grand objective of our Lord, his glory in the world, which gives everything that we do here nobility and beauty, everything. Again, not just the upfront, more honored parts, but what happens on Saturday morning too. So if you are a ministry leader, if you're a ministry leader, you, you don't want to be surrounded by yes people. You want to be surrounded by people who thoughtfully ask, how does what we do contribute to this objective? Are we actually pointing, not that we've achieved it at every time, but are we at least pointing towards this great objective? And how, how are we pointed towards it? Um, we need to be clear about our objectives. They, they may seem obvious, but when we begin to tie them back to these great objectives, they may not seem so obvious at all. It may be harder Maybe harder than we realize to think and, and ask ourselves, are we keeping the main thing the main thing? And how are we doing it? But we must. We must keep the main thing the main thing so that, number two, we target our efforts toward decisive places. We target our efforts toward decisive places. So <clears throat> just because the glory of God gives everything that we do nobility does not mean that everything that we do, well, it does not mean that we should aim our efforts everywhere. <laughs> we should not aim our efforts everywhere. The Lord in his wisdom has granted us a finite set of resources and talents. The Lord has done this, and he has done it with wisdom, and he expects us to apply these talents in order to make a maximal return with them. A maximal return with them. So the, the military version of this is the word concentration. Concentration. Concentration means is 
when you have a, you know, imagine like a civil war battle line, and concentration means you don't then match up and just spread all your soldiers all on the same line and then just spread yourself thin and everyone attack at once. No, you, you find, you ask yourself first, what are our strengths? And then secondly, ask yourself, what is the weakest part of the enemy's line and attack there? Or to put it another way, where's the place that if we attacked in one by God's grace, it would have the, the maximal bang for buck for the glory of the Lord, where the, the greatest part of the enemy's castle would fall down, where the, the greatest number of captives from his hold would be freed. Um, so we need to be asking ourselves this. We need to be asking, where are those decisive places? And then match up what we're best at at those places. At those places. What would cause the enemy the greatest expense? So, two questions to ask here. What are we gifted at? What are we gifted at as a church? Well, three things come to my mind. One is that we are an incredibly welcoming bunch. Everybody says that that comes here. Man, I love, I love the people here. Um, secondly, we are a hard-working bunch. You are not afraid of hard work. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And lastly, we desire to be, we aspire to be a biblical bunch. We aspire to come into alignment with God's word. So these are great things. These are awesome things. Awesome things. So then we need to ask ourselves, what are the weaknesses in our enemy's hold on this world that, that these strengths would most keenly attack? And this is not an easy question, but it's the question for your ministry. Um, one answer that comes to my mind, but, but I really would love to hear your thoughts on this. One answer that comes to my mind is the pervasive loneliness and coldness and, and uh, anxiety of this age. That, that just, it's, a, it's like a, a low-grade radio signal that just pervades everything. Anxiety everywhere. Our world, our world is longing and, and thirsting for family and fathers and, and longing and thirsting for solid ground to, to, to make that, that low-grade radio signal of anxiety go away to, to, to fi- have their feet purchase and, and find some solid ground. The very things that you and I enjoy every Sunday in this body. Um, we're much closer to what the world needs and, and, and what would bring a, a lot of damage to the enemy's strongholds. We're a lot closer to that than we realize. Um, but, but this requires thought. This, this requires prayer. This requires listening. Baby boomers, do you, do you know, do you know w- what would be the decisive point? The decisive point where God would get the most glory among Gen Z, <laughs> among the, the Gen Z folks in our church, or, or their friends. Do you know that? If the answer is no, okay, time to have a meal, time to ask some questions, <laughs> time to listen, and vice versa, and vice versa, across the generations. Um, what are the decisive points where we should apply our efforts? If we answer that, our path is much, much clearer. Much clearer. And then targeting our efforts in this way towards decisive places enables us then to say that magical word 
perhaps the most magical word in all the world, and it's one of the smallest words, the word no. <laughs> the word no. Which then allows us to avoid mission creep. You know, to, to, the mission creep is where you, you, you've at one point set a very clear mission, but then you accumulate extraneous activities to that mission that don't actually contribute to the mission, but actually bog it down. But we as a people should be just as proud of the things that we've said no to in the Lord as the things that we say yes to. Remember, any well-trained monkey can say yes to everything. (laughs) We're not well-trained monkeys. We're soldiers in the Lord's army. And the Lord requires of us that we employ his resources to the most decisive points, which helps us, which enables us to say no. That's a great idea. It's just not for us. Okay. So, number two, we need to target our efforts towards decisive places. Number three, we are a team of teams. We're a team of teams. Throughout the New Testament, we see the team model. We we saw it from 2 Corinthians when Paul said, we, we work alongside you. Paul is always operating in teams. This, This is why at the end of Romans in chapter 16, basically the entire chapter is Paul saying hi to like, you know, 30 people at the end of the letter, this great theological treatise, perhaps the greatest theological treatise ever written, and at the end, it's all about, hey, tell Bill I said hi. Amazing. All ministry, all ministry terminates on people. All ministry is about people. All ministry is done with people. All ministry is done in dependence upon people. Because we are a body of people. We need each other. We need each other. Visionaries need managers. Because if we're all visionaries, then as I've said before, nobody eats. (laughs) We have great ideas and everybody goes hungry. And managers need visionaries. If, If you only have managers, then you have a stifling, lifeless bureaucracy. So you need both. Now, a few lessons from Paul's leadership of teams. The first one is this, uh, commitments and sunsets. Did this make it up there? Yeah, good. Commitments and sunsets. Paul valued commitment, but he also valued sunsets. Commitment is why Paul and Barnabas had a big disagreement in Acts 15, verse 39. Paul didn't think that Mark had the requisite commitment. And... Uh, he, he was right, he was right, but we'll get to that in a second. But on the other hand, Barnabas was Mark's cheerleader, Mark's cheerleader. So, so Paul valued um, commitment greatly. But by sunsets, I mean that people came and, and went from Paul's teams all the time, all the time, usually because they were needed somewhere else. It's, it's Titus 1.5, it's why Paul tells Titus, that's kind of a funny passage, but you know, why Titus, I left you in Crete, you know, this is God forsaken place. I, I left you there and I had to give you up because you were needed there more than with me. So there's, there's sunsets to our service, there's, there's commitment, but there's sunsets. And so my own um, thought, so this is a, a suggestion for us as a church, Um, in application of this concept of commitment and sunsets is this. If you join a team, on the one hand, don't be a flake. (laughs) Hold to your commitment. (laughs) Don't be a flake. But if you join a team, know this. You've not gotten locked into something that you can never leave. Every year, 
Every year, everyone is given a sunset where anyone can step back from that role, no questions asked. No questions asked. In general, I, I, to me, it seems to make the most sense that you let us know in May, the end of the school year, that I'm not going to continue with this, which gives us the summer to work together to find a replacement for you if the Lord would have us replace you in that role. Now, perhaps you're asking then, oh, but if you do this, then we're going to run out of people. We're not going to have people to do this or that. I'm not going to have enough people for my ministry. Well, I believe Paul would say it's better to have no one in a role than to have the wrong person. It's better to have no one in a role than the wrong person. And oftentimes, the wrong person is someone who is resentful, resentful that no one else is helping them do what they do. That's a great sign. You got to step aside. Because the Lord, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, loves a cheerful giver, not just financially, but in all forms of service. And he's still in the business of providing cheerful givers. Cheerful givers, people who are doing it out of joy. Out of joy that glorifies him. So maybe, maybe for that empty role, he was just waiting for that resentful giver to get out of the way. <laughs> that the hole could be opened up, the role could be opened up for someone else to step in. So this is why we don't want to operate out of desperation. Out of desperation. Martha was desperate for help and she was resentful that she wasn't getting it from Mary, Luke 10, 41. But Mary chose the more needed thing, the more needed thing being to enjoy the Lord. Which didn't mean that she was never going to serve the Lord. It was just that she was tapping into the very thing that is needed for all service to the Lord, enjoyment of Him first. And all of our service flows out of that. But since Martha's service was not driven by enjoyment of the Lord, it, it spoiled on her. And she became ugly in that moment. The Lord Jesus had to talk her down off that cliff. So, the first thing, the first lesson from Paul's leadership of teams is commitment and sunsets. The second thing is, second lesson is multiplying leaders. Another lesson about Paul's teams is that his teams were greenhouses for new leaders. Paul was not a man who was working himself out of a job. He already knew that God was working him out of a job. He knew that time was short. He knew that he, Paul, the great Paul, was very disposable. Paul knew that. So am I. So are you. What matters is the glory of the body. The body. And one of the glories of this body is how it multiplies leaders. The church is a greenhouse for transforming men and women into leaders who then produce other leaders. This is why it's our bent as elders. On the one hand, we take very seriously the authority that God has given to us. But then on the other hand, we, we take that authority and we, we labor, we work hard to distribute that authority out to other people, out from the center. We don't, we don't lord it over ourselves, but we, we vest authority out from the center so that we may work alongside you for your joy and for others' joy which requires allowing new leaders to try new things and, you know, to run around and chew up the furniture for a little while, like a new dog. <laughs> but this is because we're multiplying leaders not for the next six months, not for the next six years, but maybe for the next 600 years. Maybe the Lord will return tomorrow. Or maybe we're still in the early stages of the church age. That's possible. 
It's very possible. Christ may return soon, or it may be a really long time. So we're not called, what we're after here, we're not, we're not called to make one good handoff from one leader to the next. We're, we're called to labor with an eye towards multiple generations of good handoffs, of people who are keeping the main thing the main thing and serving to the glory of God out of a joy of God. Now, one more thing. What, what's the point of teams? Yes, it is clearly to arrive at an objective and to work together to accomplish that objective, but in all of this, God clearly also has in mind number, or point C, our sanctification. Our sanctification. Let's go back to the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas for a moment. Um, the truth is, they were both right. At some point, Mark really did flake out on Paul. And Paul was like, I'm not doing that again. And so uh, Paul was right to not take him at that point in his ministry. But Barnabas had a great deal of optimism about Mark, and he was right about that too. Late in Paul's life, he instructs Timothy to bring Mark with him, for he says, he is very useful to me, 2 Timothy 4.11. So Barnabas was right too. So how do we adjudicate that? Well, we don't. Sometimes the point is not who is right, but the point is the conversation itself. Um, the point is how we have the conversation, how we work through constructive conflict together. To put this another way, and this, I hope, is for some of us a total mind shift. Um, when you think about entering into constructive conflict in your career, at your office, you should be able to look back at your ministry team at church for an example, a template on how to do that. Too many people look at how they do things at the office and they import that into church when it should be the other way around. We should be the ones who do it better. We should be the example. We should be the template to the world. Here's how this works. We're the body. We're the body of Christ. Um, and there, therefore, we are a team of teams cooperating smoothly together. Okay, so that's the, that's the third point. We're a team of teams. Number four we are to move to the battle with flexible intentionality. We're to move to the battle with flexible intentionality. By in, and, and I apologize, the flexible intentionality phrase there, I, I realize I'm getting really close to like using like a corporate, corporate uh, training speak there. You know, my apologies. I just couldn't think of any other way to put it. Um, but by intentionality, I mean that the Holy Spirit can work just as much in a meeting room with our calendars open as we plan as he does in spontaneous moments. We want to be planners. We want to be planners, but, but giving our plans always over to the Lord, and thus we also want to be flexible. Just because something was started 10 years ago doesn't mean that it must continue or that it must continue in the same way. So we honor the past, and we realize that things have been done in the past for a certain reason, but then we go to war, and no plan survives first contact with the enemy. We go to war, and... We, we go to war with the army that the Lord has provided today. Not the arm, army that once existed 20 years ago, but with the army that the Lord has provided today. Thus, we must remember why, why we are to have flexible intentionality. Because our Lord expects us to move to the battle, to take offensive, 
to take the offensive. The gates of hell will not be able to withstand the gospel, Jesus said, Matthew 16, 18, which implies an offensive is being taken by the church. An offensive, again, not with the weapons of man, but with the gospel. The gospel. Gates are defensive in nature. We're the ones on the attack. And so taking the offensive means being both organized, being planners, but also being nimble at the same time. The best platoons have very intentional battle plans, but they're very flexible. They're at least flexible enough to adjust when they make first contact with the enemy. But the the church in general has gotten very used to making no contact with the enemy. In a culture where we can... We've just assumed the gospel, and now today we're, we're shocked and set back on our heels by what's happening. We must engage, again, with, with this flexible intentionality with the gospel, with the gospel. And then lastly, lastly, we are to communicate, or to communicate to coordinate. We're to communicate to coordinate. Because we are a team of teams, this requires communication, communication. And one rule of any organization is that if you think you've communicated enough, communicate one more time, and then maybe you have. <laughs> maybe you have. So I, I, I want to invite you, if you ever have suggestions for us about how we communicate, the channels we communicate with in the church, do we have too many? Do we have too few? Do we need to be clearer? Do we need to organize it better? We're all ears. Michelle and I and, and Veronica, we're, we're all ears. Please, we, we want to continue to grow in this. Let us know. Um, but we are to communicate in order to communicate, or excuse me, communicate in order to coordinate because we are a team of teams, we are a body, and each part of the body is to be working smoothly with the others, smoothly with the others. So, so what this means is, especially if you are a ministry leader, if you're a ministry leader, one of your jobs is to be interested in, with, with a loving curiosity about what's happening with the other ministry teams. We're all to have a loving curiosity about what them ones over there are doing. Why? Because part of my job is to make them ones over there successful in what they're doing. It, I'll tell you... It, one of the greatest things and, and one of the most powerful, one of the most powerful teams, the, one of the most unbeatable things in the world is a team that is operating with the attitude that no one cares who gets the credit. Such a team is unbeatable. Unbeatable. So if you especially if you are a leader of a team, your job is to find out how you can make the other teams operate better. So this requires a loving curiosity and just sitting down and having a coffee together and talking, talking about how it's going, talking about how you can pray together. It is a beautiful thing when brothers dwell in unity and no one cares who gets the credit. And that's because in the end, it really is all about the glory of Christ on earth. I, 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 sometimes, I sometimes wonder if I, if we truly understand what this means to be the body of Christ, to be the body of Christ, to be the physical manifestation of Christ on earth, 
to be the thing which brings him glory, to be the idol of Christ, he who has ascended and left us as his living image, his living idol to the world. That's our job, that's our role, that's our calling now. And in the end, in the end, he provides everything that we need. He will provide everything, and thus he will get all of the glory, all of the glory. He is risen, he has ascended, he reigns, and he will provide everything for his body, for he is the church. He is, excuse me, he is the head of the church, and he will provide everything that we need. So everything that we've said today, all of it falls under a great big umbrella that simply says optimistic, confident faith in our head, the Lord Jesus, to provide. Well, there's much more that we can say about this. I, I don't have any more time, but um, the things that we've said today are this, to keep the main thing the main thing, to target our efforts towards the decisive places, to remember that we're a team of teams, we're a body, to move towards the battle with flexible intentionality, and to communicate, to coordinate. So I, I am convinced and I'm optimistic that if we hold to these simple values and our ministry together and our serving by faith, in this faith, the Lord will bless our efforts. He will bless our efforts. And in the end, he, he, here's how the Lord will reward us. He will bless us and reward us with more responsibility. That's how he'll, he'll give us a promotion. That's how the Lord works. We're to simply now, therefore, to be faithful with what he's given us today with your giftings and the giftings of the brother and sister to your left and to your right, to be, to be faithful with what he's given us. And I'm confident if we would do that, he will promote us to greater responsibility in time. So let's pray. Let's pray now that he would indeed bless our efforts. Lord Jesus, this is your body. This body exists because you bought it. You paid for it with your own life, with your own blood. You are the king. You are the head. This thing is your invention. You are the owner of this thing. You are its Lord. You are our master. You are our everything. So I pray, I pray that as we seek to take faithful steps, that every step along the way would be done by faith in you, looking to you optimistically for you to provide and thereby get the glory, and then for your glory to be multiplied and, um, by, by our joy in seeing you provide, by our joy in seeing you come and work and deliver and save. As you take ground through our efforts, I pray that you would multiply your glory by our joy in you. So please do this. Please get glory for yourself. You deserve the greater glory. Please get it here in Elk Grove. Please get it in South Sac. Please get it in Sacramento County. Please get it in Galt. You deserve the greater glory. Make us a vessel for that glory, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I want to commend you, Grace Church. Um, you, you have a good and gracious king. You have a great king. And the worth of your king, I, I believe, is reflected in your service to him. So I've given us ethos statements today, but, but none of that should be meant to, to point out this, a, a lack here or a lack there. I, in terms of this church, 
all I can think of as I was praying, as I was praying and, and, and singing there was commendation to you. Your service to him portrays the, the excellencies of the king you serve. Well, well done, keep going. <laughs> well done, keep going. Lord God, I, I pray that you would so organize us now and make connections now that we will, really would become more and more like an actual body, like your body. So please build us up, build us up into you, Lord Jesus. Make us a people that speak the truth one to another, as your word says in Ephesians 4. And, and by this speaking the truth one to another, the truth of the gospel, we might be built up into you who is the head, and then may you get all the glory for it. So fill our time now with a sweetness as we meet and get to know each other in our various ministries. And uh, bless this time we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the elders will be here. So if you